Well, it's good to see you guys. We doing all right? Awesome, awesome. Well, glad you guys are with us today. Uh, one quick thing before we dive into the message. And if you were here last week, you heard me talk about this. Uh, but tomorrow, we are kicking off, for the very first time, a 21-day period of prayer and fasting for our church. Last fall, we took our, our uh, leadership team to a church gathering. It's just a gathering of leaders a uh, pretty small gathering. You got a chance to connect with the pastor of the church that was hosting us. And he shared with us over lunch about how their church does this every year. And he talked about the ways that it's impacted the ministry there. And as I listen, I just sense God just impressing upon me. Crosspoint needs to do this. Crosspoint needs to do this. And so we're going to do it. All right. Um, hopefully by now, many of you have had a chance to take a look at our website or uh, the app and, and you've been able to read through some of the resources we've put together. If not, I would really, really encourage you to do that today because I realize that this whole idea of extended prayer and fasting may be new to some of us. And so we want to help you. All right. One of the resources you'll find is a fasting guide which explains what fasting is, why we do it, how we do it, and then it actually outlines four different types of fast you can take part in. Uh, another resource is a Bible reading guide. So for the next 21 days, our church is going to read the Bible together, and we're going to read the same things, and we're going to seek the Lord in the same places, and I uh, just pray God uses that in a big way for us. And then on a daily basis, we're going to post a prayer guide that you'll be able to find on the app, the website, our social media pages, and it'll give you direction on specific things to pray for each day. Now, the final thing we're doing, and you need to really note this because it starts this Tuesday morning, all right? Uh, six times over the next 21 days, we're going to open up this building for some times of corporate prayer and worship. Uh, again, I said this last week, if you're not a morning person, like I'm not a morning person, I know this stings a bit. Uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're going to have the building open from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And I know it's early, but I promise we'll do our best to keep you awake, all right? But uh, I really believe it's going to be worth it for us to get out of bed and come together. We're going to have some people leading us in worship. We're going to hear uh, a short devotion from the word and then just spend some time praying together. So again, that starts this Tuesday morning and I really want to encourage you to be here. All right. Uh, a couple last things. If you haven't already liked our Facebook page, followed us on Twitter, do that because we'll be posting reminders about these 21 days uh, over the course of our time. And then I also ask you, just, man, spend some time praying today, especially, that God would use this to impact and change our church in a big, big way. All right, can you do that with me? Yes. Thank you. All right, awesome. Just making sure you're out there, all right? Well, with all that said, let's grab our Bibles. If you have a Bible or if you have an app on a device, grab those. Let's go to Mark chapter one together. Mark chapter one. Uh, if you weren't here last Sunday... I shared with our church that we're doing something this year that we have never done in our history. Uh, we are going to spend all year in one book of the Bible, the book of Mark. As I was praying last fall about what to preach in 2017, I mean, it was like the more I prayed, the more God kept impressing upon me that we needed to spend this entire year talking about Jesus in a very, very intentional way. Because the reality is this is going to be a crazy year in the life of our church. Uh, in addition to all the existing ministry that's already happening, we have some new ministry efforts we're working to get off the ground. We have a big building renovation project in front of us, and about midway through the year, by God's grace, we'll finally move into the new property that God has blessed us with. Now, I said last Sunday, all those things are good things, but if we're not careful, they can distract us from the best thing and the main thing. 
And if that happens, well, those good things become bad things. And so week after week in 2017, we're going to show up and we're going to fight really, really hard to keep our attention and our affections fixed on Jesus where they belong in the midst of the chaos and change headed our way. Uh, I also want to reiterate, if you're new to church, like maybe this is your first time in church ever, or it's your first time in a really long time, I want to say to you, you're here at a great time. Because in the coming weeks and months, uh, we're going to address many of the doubts that you probably have about Christianity, and we're also going to answer many of the questions you probably have about Jesus. So I want to just encourage you, keep coming back and bring all your doubts and all your questions with you. Uh, We're grateful you're here, and we want to help you any way we can, all right? So with all that said, let's get into it. You ready? All right. Quick question. Have any of you ever gotten advice from someone that lacks the same life experience as you? So for example, parents in the room, you ever had that person with no kids tell you how to parent your own kids? Yeah, it's hilarious, isn't it? And while they're talking, like the only thing you're thinking is just wait, right? I pray that you have the most selfish, stubborn child on the face of the planet so you can think back on this moment and remember how absolutely ridiculous you sounded. You know, I remember before my wife and I had kids, we'd go to restaurants for like date nights, you know, and I would see that, that a couple pull out the iPhone or the iPad and put it in front of their kids while they were eating dinner and they would let their kids watch cartoons. And I was the arrogant guy that used to say, that's absurd, right? I'll never do that. My family will go to dinner and we'll sit around the table and it'll be calm and peaceful and we'll laugh and we'll just enjoy one another. And then we had kids. And uh, God just so happened to bless us with kids that are allergic to the inside of restaurants. Anybody out there, you can identify with this, you know? It's like you go in and you sit down and regardless of what food establishment you're in, something about being on the inside of the place makes your kid melt down and act like maniacs. That's my daughter's, right? And so at times it's like we can't get Peppa Pig on fast enough. Does anybody know about this little British pig? Parents... It's the weird, I don't understand it. My girls love it. And so we just pray as we put Peppa Pig in front of them that this little British pig will lull them into a trance long enough for us to scarf our food down, all right? Look, let that be a lesson. All you kidless people in the room, never say never, all right? Just keep it humble, okay? Look, in all seriousness, here's what we know. And you know this because you're all smart people. Here's what we all know. When someone is unlike you, and they haven't gone through the things you've gone through and they haven't experienced the things you've experienced, it's really hard to take them seriously when they attempt to speak into your life, isn't it? But on the other hand, when someone is like you and they share in the same experiences you've shared and and, and they've gone through some of the same things you've gone through, it's a whole lot easier to have trust in them and confidence in them as a person, right? You wanna listen to them and, and you actually wanna learn from them, especially if they've overcome things you haven't quite yet overcome. And this is why, look up here, this is why every single one of us in the room today, regardless of who we are, regardless of background or what we walked in the room believing, it's why every single one of us can trust in and have great confidence in Jesus. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus became like us. He left his throne in heaven, he wrapped himself in flesh, and he came to this earth to live among us as a man. And one of the reasons he did it was to share in our life experiences that he might identify with us and us with him. And that's the reality we're going to see in today's passage. You know, last Sunday, we really hammered on this claim that Mark gave us in Mark 1 verse 1, that, that Jesus is the son of God. It's a claim that reminds us that in many ways, Jesus is completely unlike us. 
He's divine, he's glorious, he's majestic, he's heavenly, he's godly, he is God. We're none of those things. But then there's also this beautiful human side to Jesus that we're gonna see today. And it reminds us of an incredible truth that you might wanna write down as we get going. Here it is. That even though Jesus is unlike us, again, he became like us, that we as sinful, broken people might ultimately become like him. And we're gonna spend our time together just unpacking that and making sense of it, all right? So let's dive in. Mark chapter one, we're gonna pick up in verse nine. Here's what it says. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, we're just gonna stop here and talk for a moment because there are two things that I wanna point out for us from verse nine, all right? Uh, One is this, that Jesus came from Nazareth. He came from Nazareth. If you've grown up in or around church, you've probably heard of Nazareth because you've heard of Jesus, right? But in biblical times, nobody had heard of the place. I mean, it wasn't talked about anywhere in the Old Testament. It was never mentioned in any of the central Jewish writings. Nazareth was just this little backwoods town. It was completely off everyone's radar. Kind of like Rydal, you know? Is anybody in the room from Rydal? Okay, look, I love my Rydal people. No offense to y'all. But when I first moved to Bartow County and someone said they were from Rydal, I was like, Rye, what? Like, what? And I grew up 45 minutes from here and I had never heard of the place. That was Nazareth. It was not the kind of town you would expect the son of God to come from, but that's exactly where Mark says he came from. Now, here's what I love about this. And Rydal people, you're gonna wanna hear this, all right? So listen in, quit being offended and just listen. All right, look, it reminds us that you don't have to be from a big place to impact the world in a big way. And all my rightal people said, amen, Amen, right? It's great news for us. You don't have to be from a big place to impact the world in a big way. If God has his hand on your life and you're willing to walk in faith and obedience to him, God can take your life regardless of where you come from and he can use it to shape the world in ways that you never dreamt were possible. It's beautiful, right? The second thing worth noting is this, that John baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus. There have been lots of debates over the centuries as to why Jesus would allow John to baptize him. Uh, If you were here last week, we talked about it. John's message was repent, turn from sin, turn to God, and then be baptized, right? Be baptized as a symbol of your turning. Well, as Christians, we believe that Jesus was perfect and sinless. And so why in the world would the perfect, sinless son of God need to be baptized? It's strange, isn't it? But the answer ultimately goes back to the big idea of today's message, and and I'll try to help us, all right? I think it'll make sense, so stay with me. If you think about why we're baptized, the answer is really simple, biblically speaking. As people, we get baptized to publicly identify ourselves with Jesus, right? It's the way we profess before a crowd of people our faith in him, right? Through baptism, we say, I've turned from sin to Jesus. Uh, The old me's dead and gone, the new me's alive in him, and my life is headed in a new direction, This is what makes baptism so important. You know, it's kind of like a marriage ceremony. It's the way that you stand up before a crowd of witnesses and you declare your love for Christ and your commitment to him. And just a quick plug, if you've never taken that step to be baptized, uh, we have our next baptism celebration happening on February 12th, which is in just a few weeks. If you wanna be a part, we'd love to help you take that step. You can actually sign up in the lobby at the connection desk before you go, all right? But back to the question, why would Jesus be baptized? We get baptized to publicly identify ourselves with him. And here's the answer. Look, Jesus got baptized to publicly identify himself with us. Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe wrapped in flesh 
He, he came to John and allowed him to immerse him in water to identify himself with the very people he loves and came to save. I mean, this was an act of humility when you really think about it. It was as if Jesus was saying to all of us, if this is important for you, it's gonna be important for me. Right? I'm gonna go into the water to show you as the people I came to save that I, the son of God, have become like you. Now look at what happens next, verse 10. Mark continues and he says, when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now in these couple of verses, we see some interesting parallels between the baptism of Jesus and the creation of the world that took place all the way back in Genesis chapter one. In both accounts, we see all three members of the Trinity present, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Uh, The spirit of God is hovering or fluttering over the waters, and then God is speaking. The difference between the two accounts is this. In Genesis 1, God was creating everything for the first time. Here at the baptism of Jesus, God is beginning to usher in a new creation. Here's how you can think about it, all right? When Jesus went into the water, he was accepting before God his messianic mission. So in other words, he was saying to God through his baptism, I'm in. Right, I'm, I'm accepting the work that you've given me to perform on behalf of all these people. The work of restoring broken things and broken people. The work of putting an end to sin in the world so that people like you and me could experience new life in the way that God originally designed it to be. And the details that Mark includes in these verses, well, they all point to that central truth. All right, Mark says that three things happen. And if you're taking notes, you can write this stuff down. Number one, he says the heavens tore open. And just imagine that, right? Here's Jesus. He comes out of the water and he looks up and he literally sees the the heavens just being ripped apart. Uh, That word tor that you see there in the passage, uh, it it comes from a Greek word called schizo. And Mark uses it again later in the book in uh, chapter 15, verse 38, when he's describing the veil of the temple being torn as Jesus has taken his uh, last breath on the cross. That veil that he talks about, it was a curtain that, that, uh, that separated what was known as the most holy place or the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. And that was the area of the temple where the presence of God dwelt. Nobody could go in there except one guy, the high priest, and he could only go in one day a year on the day of atonement. And so here's the significance of both moments, that veil being torn into, the heavens being torn open. They both remind us that the God of the universe himself has broken into human history to save his people. Isn't that real? That through Jesus, the way has been opened for sinful people like you and me to enter the presence of God. Now, can we just sit on that for a moment together? Uh, Especially if you're a church person, right? You're a church person. You're here going, I've heard all this. Yeah, but do you know it? Not just here, but here. Has it moved your heart? Has it stirred in you greater affections for Christ? To know that the God of the universe and his great love for you has made the way for you to come into his presence and experience him. Like I pray that we're never those people who take that reality lightly. I pray that, that we don't come to God in communion and worship and prayer and we come flippantly or you know, we're those people that come with such familiarity that we forget that our ability to enter the presence of God literally cost Jesus everything. He laid down his life so that you and I could enter that most holy place never to be separated from God again. How unbelievable is that? The second thing Mark says is this, that the spirit descended. 
The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. Uh, In the Old Testament, there are several examples of this happening. The Holy Spirit would come upon people and he would empower them for different acts of service. That's what's happening at the baptism of Jesus. The Spirit is coming upon Jesus and he's empowering Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Uh, It's what Isaiah wrote about all the way back in Isaiah 11, verse 2, some 700 years before Jesus ever came to the earth. Uh, he, He writes, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit showed up and gave Jesus everything he needed to accomplish what God was calling him to accomplish. And what's amazing is that the Holy Spirit does the same for us today, you know? We talked about this a little bit last week, but the Holy Spirit, when, when he fills us, when he comes into our lives after we put faith in Jesus, he brings all the same things. He brings wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and, and knowledge and fear of the Lord so that ultimately, as Jesus says in Acts 1.8, we can be empowered to live on the earth as his witnesses. So I need you to hear me today. You don't give yourself the power to make Jesus known. You with me? The Holy Spirit is the one who shows up in your life, giving you everything you need to live in a way that points other people back to Jesus, the Savior they need. The third thing Mark says is this, and and this is my favorite, by the way. He says, God the Father spoke. God the Father spoke. And when God spoke, he spoke to two things. He spoke first to Jesus' identity. And he declared over him, this is who you are. You are my son, and I love you. And then secondly, he spoke over Jesus, his approval. He says, not only are you my son, whom I love, but with you, I am well pleased. Now, here's what's incredible, and this is where it gets really practical for us. Don't miss this. Look, God's desire is to speak those same things over your life. He wants to speak first over you, your identity, which we all need, right? Especially in the culture we're living in today, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock lately, you know that many of the conversations at the forefront of American culture all center on identity. Sexual identity, gender identity, uh, racial identity, political identity, socioeconomic identity, the list goes on and on. Now, why do we do that? Why Why do we talk about that stuff, like, relentlessly? Well, it's simple, because at a very deep level, and you know this regardless of who you are, but at a very deep level, we understand as people that, that satisfaction in life is linked with identity. So in other words, we know and understand that unless we comprehend who we are and live out of that knowledge, we'll never know true joy and contentment. The problem in our culture is this, though. Way too many people are bent on finding their identity apart from Christ, which never works. And I'll tell you why. Because when the God of the universe created you, He created you to be in relationship to him. In other words, he created you to be in his family as a son or as a daughter. Now, sin has messed all that up, right? I mean, sin has disconnected us from God, and it's disconnected us from who God created us to be. But the good news is that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to deal with our sin problem so that you and I could be restored back to God so that we could reclaim our identities which means, and I need you to hear it, which means if you are trying to find your identity in anything else that this world might offer you, like if your identity right now is wrapped up in success or in your sexuality or in how much money you make or even in the color of your skin, look at me, if you try to find value and worth in any of those things, join contentment in any of those things, you will live a very dissatisfied life. And your dissatisfaction will cause you to keep searching in all the wrong people and in all the wrong places for what only Jesus can give you. 
You want to know identity? You want to know joy? You want to know who you truly are, who God created you to be? You look to Jesus and you put your faith in him and you allow the God of the universe to declare over your life, you are my loved son. You are my loved daughter and nothing will ever change that. Now look, not only does God want to declare over you your identity, but he wants to declare over you your approval. One of the things that I find fascinating about this passage is that God declared over Jesus his approval before Jesus did anything. Right hand started his ministry and cast out any demons or healed anybody or performed any miracles. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't risen from the dead. He had done nothing. Yet the God of the universe says about him, hey, with you, I am well pleased. This is a great reminder for all of us that God's approval does not depend on what we do or don't do. It depends on who we are because of what Christ has done for us, right? In other words, look, in other words, your approval does not come from your performance. It comes as a result of your place in his family. Now, I know, I know that that's completely countercultural, just like this whole identity thing. I mean, we live in such a performance-based society that oftentimes we are guilty of trying to apply all those same rules to our relationship with God, Right? Like we convince ourselves that, well, if I'm gonna really be approved of and, and if I'm gonna have God's acceptance, I gotta prove my salt and prove my worth. And so I'll do all these churchy religious things and show God that I'm deserving of his acceptance. But listen to me, all that changes when you start to realize that God, according to the scriptures, is a loving father, not a lording boss. Are you with me? Are you with me? Look, parents in the room, you should get this more than anybody, Right? I mean, think about your own kids. Do you love them, accept them, and approve of them because they get it right all the time? Some of y'all are like, heck no, right? (laughs) Not my kid. If anything, if anything, you love them and approve of them and accept them in spite of the fact that they get it wrong a lot of the time. And why do you do that, parents? It's because they're yours, right? They're your kids. They belong to you. And nothing about their performance will ever change that. And I need you to hear me. The same is true when it comes to you and God. If you know Jesus, you have been adopted into God's family. You are a son. You are a daughter. And nothing about your performance will ever change it. You're not his employee. You're his kid. And God approves of you. Now listen, when you start to really understand that, it will set you free in some incredible ways. Right? You start to realize, um, I don't have to obey God to earn acceptance, man, I get to obey God because he already accepts me. Uh, I don't have to work hard to earn God's love. Well, I can work hard because God already loves me. Do you hear the difference there? I know for some of us, that's really, really hard to believe, but you have to believe it anyway because it's true. Jesus has done all the necessary work on your behalf to earn God's acceptance and approval for you totally, fully, and forever. Do you wanna know your part in all this? Can I tell you what's left for you to do? Here it is, rest in his approval. I said, rest in his approval and each and every day respond to that approval by pursuing Christ and loving him in greater ways. Now, I think uh, you'd agree with me on this. If we could just stop the message here, we could all leave and be really encouraged and really hopeful. It almost kind of feels like we need to sing a song and just be done, doesn't it? But the reality is we can't stop because our passage doesn't stop, all right? Uh, We see Jesus going from this incredible high point at his baptism to a very, very low point where he's taken out into the wilderness and he experiences this very intense spiritual attack. And what he goes through, it means some things for us. And so we gotta keep going and we have to keep pressing on. So let's do that, all right? Look at what Mark says next. 
says, after his baptism, this is verse 12, that immediately the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, it's so important for us to note here that this temptation that Jesus faced, this attack he faced at the hands of Satan himself, it not only came after his baptism that we just talked about, but it came before the launch of his public ministry. So think about this, right? Jesus goes into the water to identify with the people he came to save. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes upon him to empower him to save them. And then a short time later, Jesus goes all throughout Israel proclaiming repentance and God's coming kingdom. Well, it was in between baptism and ministry that Satan showed up on Jesus' doorstep. And the reason he showed up, it was simple. He wanted to destroy Jesus. His plan was to derail him. Like he knew if he could cause Jesus to fall into sin, that he would be unable to save sinners like us. In doing so, he would not only be robbing God of glory and honor from Jesus' life, but from the lives of, of all those who would one day place their faith and trust in him. Here's why that's significant for you and me today. It reminds us that temptation is often the strongest in our lives, either when we go public with our faith in Christ or we begin to take very intentional steps to make a difference for Christ in this broken world. And some of you, I see you're nodding your head because you've experienced this, haven't you? Like you're the person, you put your faith in Jesus and you got baptized and then all of a sudden it was like spiritual attack after spiritual attack after spiritual attack came your way. Or maybe you're that person who decided, all right, I'm gonna serve I'm gonna get involved in ministry or I'm gonna give financially or you know, I'm gonna go on the mission trip. I'm gonna share Jesus with my, my neighbor or my coworker. And you started taking those steps and the enemy started coming after you in ways that you've never experienced in your life. Has anybody ever been there other than me? Yes. Now look, that can be really discouraging if you're that person who falsely believes that by following Jesus and, and living a life for his kingdom, that that somehow that's gonna make your life easier and that all your temptations and all your struggles are just gonna magically fade away. Can I just tell you today, in many cases, the opposite is true? Because when you decide to sign up to follow Jesus, like, and I mean like really follow Jesus, like not like play the whole church game, right, that some people, I'm talking like really follow Jesus. You give your life over to him completely. It's almost like you put a target on your back for the enemy, you know? It's like a soldier who walks into war with his uniform on and a soldier from the opposing army sees that uniform and that uniform is a signal to take that guy out. When you truly follow Jesus, it's almost like you put on a uniform that signals the enemy to take you out. And I need you to hear me. He will do everything in his power to do just that. But here's the great news. And this is what we see in our passage for today. Because of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, you and I have everything we need to overcome. Come on, that deserves a bigger amen right there, right? Let me just say it again. Because of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need to overcome, which means you don't have to live in defeat. And if you are living in defeat today as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not because you have to, it's because you're choosing to. Over Christmas break, man, that reality hit me in a new and fresh way that just really woke me up spiritually in a sense. I was catching up on some reading that I wanted to get caught up on. And as I'm reading this book, I started to realize that as a pastor, I stand on platforms like this week after week, and and I talk a lot about the power of God, but there are still times in my life where there's a disconnect between what I know intellectually and what I live practically. 
Um, just, just a moment of honest confession. Can I be vulnerable with you for a moment? This is a safe place, right? All right, look, what I'm saying is this. I don't always experience the power of God in my life that I proclaim. Am I the only one? So I'm sitting here reading this book and God is just putting this on me. He's dealing with me and he just keeps putting that word power on my heart. And I believe it's the word he's given me personally for this upcoming year. And God was just reminding me in that moment, James, you're not powerless against those things that threaten to destroy you, man. James, you're not powerless against this enemy that's constantly coming upon you to try and take you out. And it was like in this moment, God spoke over me again, my identity and and his approval. James, you're my loved son. I'm your good father, man. Nothing can ever change that. Don't put too much pressure on yourself, right? It was like God just reminded me, James, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside your body, which means that any weapon the enemy wants to form and fashion against you will not prevail unless you allow it to prevail. And can I just tell you today, if you know Christ, the same is true for you. Think about it, that same spirit on that Sunday morning that went into the tomb of Jesus and breathed new life back into his dead body lives inside of your body today. In this moment, that spirit lives in you and he gives you power every day to overcome the enemy, to overcome temptation, to say no to sin. But look up here, you have to choose to walk in that power. And so that begs the question, how do you do that? It's easy to know that the power's there, but how in the world do you actually live in it, right? Well, I believe that Mark, he points us to the answer in verse 12. We at least get a hint to the answer. I don't know if you caught this earlier, but verse 12, it says this, that the spirit is the one who drove Jesus out into the wilderness. That's weird, isn't it? The Holy Spirit took Jesus to the place where he would come under spiritual attack. Why in the world would he do that? Well, it's simple. He was leading Jesus to play offense against temptation. In other words, he was calling him to aggressively confront sin and evil instead of attempting to avoid it. And man, we, we can't miss the significance of this because, man, in my experience, what I've found is that far too many people, and I'm guilty of this myself, far too many people are busy playing defense all the time. You know, they feel weak and they feel powerless against whatever that thing is in their life that keeps coming against them. And so they're hunkered down and they're trying to ward off the attacks and they just feel like they're in survival mode. Some of us, we know what I'm talking about, don't we? Here's the reality. That kind of defense, it's important at times, but if you only play defense, eventually you will walk in defeat. You want to overcome sin? You want to overcome temptation? Here's what you do. You take on an offensive posture. Like Jesus, you don't just wait back on it to come your way. You go out and you aggressively confront it. This is what Jesus taught us to do when he taught us how to pray, right? The Lord's Prayer, he says here, pray like this. Uh, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's proactive prayer versus reactive prayer. Perspective is everything, isn't it? Like I just wonder, who are you? Are you that person that just finds yourself coming to God and going, here I am again, God, I messed up again, I failed again, God, that thing took me out again, right? Reactive prayer. Or are you that person who prays like Jesus said to pray? You're always playing offense and you're going to God before temptation ever shows up on your doorstep. And you're saying to the God of the universe, God, would you give me everything I need right now while I'm not struggling so that when struggle comes my way, I can stand and overcome. God, before this sin ever shows up in my face again, God, would you show up in my life and remind me every step of the way that you are my deliverer? 
Some of us need to play that kind of offense, don't we? Because again, if we're being honest, we showed up to church today and we feel like we're surviving, man. And you know what that thing is in your life, that secret sin, that addiction, that behavior, that attitude, whatever it is, you know what it is. It's that thing in your life that right now has you feeling defeated, weak, powerless, like you're not gonna make it. It's created so much guilt and shame in your life that you don't even feel like you can come before God today, right? It's that thing. I just wanna remind you that Jesus, look, Jesus became like us so that we can become like him. And part of becoming like Jesus means walking in the authority and power he gives us over sin and temptation. And so I'm convinced today, there's some of us here who need to stop laying down in defeat. And we need to rise up and start living in the power that lives inside of us. We gotta stop just playing defense all the time and we've gotta run to the other end of the court and we gotta start playing offense. And so as we close today, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna play some offense, all right? In the way that we pray, in the song that we're getting ready to sing, we're gonna stand and declare who our God is and who we are in him. And we're gonna ask God to show up in our lives today. You with me? Awesome. Let's right now, all of the room, bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come and to get in their places. And right now, I just want you to begin praying. Right now in this moment, God, would you show up in my life right now? And God, would you do a work in me that only you can do? Just start praying that, God, this thing in my life that I feel defenseless again, God, would you give me power today to stand against it? Just begin to pray that over your life. As you pray, and I, I wanna speak directly for a moment to those of you who walked into this room today without a relationship with Jesus. Like, you know, you're that person uh, who's never come before God ever in your life and asked Jesus to become your savior. You've never asked God to do a work in your life to change you and to make you a new person. And if you're honest, like you're that person who showed up today and you do feel powerless. You know, you've tried to change your life, but it hasn't worked and you're still the same person you've always been. You feel hopeless and you feel joyless and you're trying to find hope and joy in things that this world has to offer you and none of those things are working. A lot of days you wake up and you just question like, who am I and what am I doing? And does all this stuff that I'm doing really matter? Like you don't know who you are. You don't know your identity. You don't know why God put you here. I just wanna remind you, Jesus changes everything. Everything else out there changes nothing, but Jesus changes everything. If you need your life to change today, if you need to know what it means to have a relationship with the God of the universe, then I wanna help you put your faith in Jesus right now. Just in prayer, the quietness of your heart, just say something like this to God. Say, God, I need you. I need Jesus. God, I need some things to change and to move in my life. God, I know that I can't change anything, but I believe Jesus can. And so I put my faith in his death on the cross for me. I put my faith in his resurrection from the dead for me. And God, I'm asking you right now in this moment, would you take hold of my life? And would you forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future? God, would you give me hope and and joy that I've never known before? And God, would you begin today changing me into the person you've created me to be. I say yes to Jesus. Listen, with heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room, if you just prayed with me, I wanna ask you to do me a simple favor, if you will. It'll require just a little bit of courage, but I would love to know that you just put your faith in Christ. So, man, can you just, wherever you're sitting, just throw a hand up, just an acknowledgement. James, I just prayed with you. 
putting my faith in Jesus for the first time today. We got hands going up. All right, just keep them up for just a moment, if you will. Our prayer team is gonna come and put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, James? That's me. I prayed and put my faith in Jesus for the first time today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, for the rest of us, all of us in the room who know Jesus, uh, before we sing, why don't you just pray something like this? Just say, God, remind me of who I am. That I'm a son, that I'm a daughter in your family. God, remind me right now that I don't work for approval. Approval is mine because of the work Jesus has accomplished. God, help me to rest in that. I want you just pray again and, and just ask God, God, in the next few moments, would you just remind me of the power that I have in you, that I don't have to live defeated, that each and every day I can wake up and overcome because of the power that lives inside of me. God, I just pray in the next few moments you'd continue to pour your presence out in this place. God, do a work in us that only you can do. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's stand to our feet and respond. If you need prayer, our prayer team is here to serve you.